Vincent, and we are coming off one of the greatest playoff weekends in NFL yeah. history, although uh, you're not that happy this morning. Yeah, I canceled my State Farm insurance and everything over the game last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm really not unhappy. I'm just confused as to the overtime rules, man. I just, I'm with Mark Solomon. He, he put out on Slack that it, it just, it's criminal. How is it criminal? I mean, the same thing has happened to the Chiefs before. They tried to have this change in 2019. It didn't happen. It's what the league wants. It's what some of the fans want. Maybe not all of them. A lot of outrage on Twitter. But I I, I bet there's a lot of people in Buffalo who don't like it. Here's my condition. Why don't you squib kick it when there's 13 seconds left? Why don't you not play cover zero defense? Why don't you try to cover the middle of the field? I I was thinking Andy Reid was going to call the uh, quarterback sneak up the middle. (laughs) Oh, like the the old Dak Prescott mode? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was an audible. Mahomes didn't go for that. I no. don't know if we'll see a weekend like that again. And uh, you know, I know Trey it was Griggs, really, really good though. I man. know Trey Griggs uh, from Lean Staffing. He had a big bet going on too about that game with a with a Bills fan out there. So, that oh yeah, Bills fan is going right. to have to wear the uh, the Chiefs gear. So pretty cool stuff though. Yeah. But on the show today, what also went on the on the weekend? I don't know if you've also been on social media or on the news. Is uh, that big Freedom Convoy in Canada? Yeah. Tons and tons of truckers showed up in mass. A lot of supporters for it. We'll get into that in our first news story. But um. But wow, big movement out there. And uh, we've also got Matthew Leffler, he's the armchair attorney. He's going to talk about 18-year-olds trucking across state lines. You know how that just came into effect. We'll be talking about verdicts against dr- drivers. We just had that 110-year verdict repealed against that one driver. Right. Talk about vaccine mandate lawsuits and non-competes as well. We have Daniel Theobald. He's a founder and CEO over at Fecna Robotics and Mass, Ro- uh, Mass Robotics as well. He's joining the show to discuss five key themes for logistics robotics in 2022. And Craig Linauer is the Inland Marine Claim Manager at Travelers. He's going to clear up misconceptions about liability and reefer freight. Should we tip the oh, band, though? Okay. Yeah, get we, to business? we probably should. All right. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in recent years, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating more than $2 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's logistics experts at Tell them, Dude. Hey, man, go to AIT worldwide.com right after the show headlines all right what's going on in the world freedom convoy 2022 descends upon canada fed up with vaccine mandates including one impacting truckers ability to cross the border a convoy of truckers took to the streets of canada on sunday to protest the freedom convoy 2022 started their trek in vancouver on sunday and they plan to reach ottawa by the 29th. Here's a look at some of the sights and sounds from this. Drivers for yeah, their yeah, own absolutely. protests. A lot of them very politically 
tied, but I think that this one became more urgent and has yeah. sort of caught the attention of so many Canadians, drivers and non-drivers alike, because of those mandates going into effect that even include things not just border, but showing uh, vaccine passports at places like Walmart, at Costco, going into stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's starting, to, it's starting to intrude on private lives. It's not just economic anymore, right? It's, I mean, and that's certainly part of it. This, these... So what, 32,000 or 20% of the 160,000 Canadian uh, and American crossbuck drivers, right? Or, or what is it? 32,000. Uh, the new is mandate what impacts. It's going to impact. It's going to impact 30, about 32,000 or 20% of the 160 uh, that go there. The group is finding public sports. They've got like $3 million so far in their, what is it, a GoFundMe account? That yeah, they've take got, a look at right? this. The uh, GoFundMe, they've raised over, maybe we don't have a pick of that, but they've raised oh, over. There it is. Oh, there it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $3.1 million so far to, to help support this cause and get things going. That's, uh, that's a lot of support, my friend. You know, and it's, it's between, what is it? We have 24,000 uh, donators, over 24,000 donators, 41.3,000 donations. People here are dropping, you know, anywhere from $100 to $10,000. People are even donating wow. cookies here. This, this lady is helping the people out who have been out here. She writes that uh, a mom and her kids, they've been giving these out and says, thank you. Thank you for standing up for all of Canada and the Canada that we love. Thank you for standing up for the children of Canada who will inherit the uh, consequences of what the grown-ups of our country will happen. They're standing up for their right to decide what happens to our body uh, and our kids' right to play, participate, and just be kids. Thank you for choosing to transport to transport goods so we can have what we need. Uh, thank you from the kids of Canada. A bunch of cookies. According to Reuters, um, the CTA said in a statement, that's the Canadian Trucking Association, okay. they do not support this at all. They don't. They have condemned these um, convoys. <laughs> They've condemned shutting down the roads, and they support these vaccine mandates. Yeah. But con freedom convoy organizers say that they aren't leaving Canada until the mandate is repealed. Nate Tabak, he has a story about this on FreightWaves.com, um, and he had a report that said on Ontario-based Star Van Systems feared it would lose a chunk of drivers when this went into, into effect. They thought up to 15%. Yeah, that was their initial estimate, right? So keep yeah. this in mind when you're thinking about that number from above where it said up to 32%. So he thought up to 15%. And it turns out it ended up being much smaller than that. He said we lost about 3 to 4% of drivers. The thing that happened that he thought was unexpected was that a lot of drivers actually did decide to get jabbed. But... Still very hot button issue, as you can see. This is going to be going on all week in Kenna. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen to their grocery store shelves over there and how yeah. many truckers are actually participating. But I've seen estimates of over 100,000 people and truckers have gotten together to organize this thing over the weekend and through the week. And with 50,000 donations, that doesn't seem that unlikely. Yeah, and I mean, this is, so this is a cause that, that, that I would guess with those 100,000 people crosses across drivers that already have been vaccinated, right? Because there was sure. other reports in that, and check out Nate Tabak's report because it's, it's excellent in there showing both sides of what's going on because there are pockets where it's really affecting some of the companies I would think and so. others where, where it's not. And, but when you read through it, you see drivers that are coming right up to it and then getting the vaccination, but they're still not happy about having to do it, right? No, they're not. So, I mean, it's still that fight against uh, are you invading in my privacy and, and that type of stuff, right? Well, here's something to watch out for, too. They said that uh, next target is the United States, but they're focusing on Canada first. So we'll have to see which direction that these uh, mandates But well, that's the majority in. of the truckers, right, uh, in the cross-border are actually Canadian, aren't they? I think. Listen, I'm, I mean, I'm go get vaccinated if you feel like you should get vaccinated. Yeah, 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 yeah. However, I feel like during the middle of, <laughs> I mean, I know we're in a pandemic. We're also in a supply chain crisis. And maybe for truck drivers who spend most of their time behind the wheel, um, I don't know. Maybe they have some arguments to be made here. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really cool on the government telling us things that we should and shouldn't be doing, but yeah. I, I'm also thinking we need to 
play things safe, but I get it. I mean, they've got a form, and they've got it's a hot button right now. They've got the attention to make they a do. statement on what they want to make a statement. So I can't blame them for taking advantage of the the spotlight, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, it becomes murky too because you know governments they they should listen to their people. They need to listen to their people. Democracy yeah. is republic. You should listen to your your people but then you know you can look at this argument from a bunch of different ways where you go well if you know 75 percent 85 percent are vaccinated isn't that the majority that's actually doing it so isn't this a minority of people that is causing all of this trouble yeah well it it is but and i'm not a hundred percent i mean uh, you just look at the united states it's really you know majority vote doesn't get the president right Uh, and it's set up that way so that that people are heard right because sometimes the majority is not always not always correct well (laughs) either way trudeau and lawmakers are gonna have to pay attention to this they're gonna have to that's a lot of that's a lot of drivers out there that are gonna descend on ottawa and say hey let's uh let's rethink this my friend but he's gonna have to negotiate the u.s to change any of that Speaking of our own government, another story online, we won't get into this one, but the FMCSA plans to cut carrier highway safety fees by 27%. John Gallagher has a report on that that'll cause you a little bit of relief there. Not huge numbers, but a decent amount. Another one is, this is a story we talked about back in November, and California's governor is now committed to prosecuting uh, Union Pacific smash-and-grab cargo criminals. Jonah Marsh, she reports that California Governor Gavin Newsom reiterated Thursday that the state is taking steps to address cargo theft occurring on Union Pacific trains in Los Angeles County. And if you've seen some of those like that, like Inside Edition actually did a report uh, over the weekend or it was on like Friday of last week and it was, it was showing all these boxes strewn everywhere yeah. and that was after the cleanup in November so in November they cleaned uh, supposedly that's what they say they cleaned up all those stolen packages right. and then right. they put them back up um, it's getting a lot of attention FreightWaves has, has covered it as well we have mm-hmm. a story online about what's going on on there as well get those all at FreightWaves.com however our first guest is here Craig Lenauer he's the Inland Marine Claims Manager at Travelers and we're bringing him up now hey Craig thanks for joining us hey it's great to be here uh, it's right. yeah, man. Last well, last time yeah. we had you on the show, we were talking about large car- cargo losses, and right before you came on, we talked about some happening on on the railroad. Tough times out there. But today we'll dive into your thoughts about refrigerated freight. Before we do, though, our audience would love to know a little about your background and your role over there at Travelers. Sure. Yeah. Well, I you know I continue to uh, manage transportation claim and litigation countrywide for Inland Marine, and Inland Marine is a segment of Travelers that ensures goods in transit. Uh, and also the legal liability of our insurers. And we defend our insurers also when they get sued in court across the country. So I've been, you know, I've been doing this for about 10 years now. Uh, before that, I worked as a transportation attorney. All right, great. So thanks for that. And, and again, welcome back to the, to the show. So let's start off by talking about some of the misconceptions surrounding refrigerated freight, right? Can you set us uh, straight on, on those misconceptions and what they are? Yeah, so there's a couple of misunderstandings, right? Um, and the first is really that people don't understand that, and I'll call it a reefer. That's what a refri- you know, I'm referring to a refrigerated trailer. Mm-hmm. Is that a, ref- a reefer doesn't really cool cargo. What it does is it maintains the temperature of the cargo that you put in it. And so the shipment really has to be pre-cooled or cooled when it's loaded. If you load a warm shipment, then that reefer is not going to cool it for you. So, of course, we're concerned about shipments that need to be temperature controlled, like ice cream, meat flowers, produce, and that kind of thing. And this can be very, very tricky. So, for example, uh, you think about the ubiquitous banana, right? Well, bananas, they have a sweet spot of only four degrees. So you can only transport them between 56 and 60 degrees. Any warmer than that, just one degree, and that banana is going to start to ripen. It will actually generate heat that heat can reach up to 80 or 90 degrees. On the other hand, if it's colder by, you know, if it's colder than 56 degrees, which is, you know, degree you know, the bottom of that uh, that sweet spot, then they're going to chill, causing spotty peels and damage. 
Wow, and, you know, and it's, no it's such an interesting type of cargo too, because when you think about um, other type of cargo losses, you're, you know, you might think about theft or pilferage of those kind of things, but equipment itself can play a big yeah. role within this. Can you talk about the role that equipment plays? Yeah, well, equipment's critical, but let me digress for a second, if I may. I just want the other misconception that I that I wanted to mention too. Aside from that, that you know, people think that the the, the reefer is actually going to cool the cargo, but it doesn't. Is that people also don't understand how critical proper loading is. And, and the loading is critical to ensuring the cargo arrives at the right temperature. Specifically, what we're talking about is there has to be the ability for the air to flow freely throughout the trailer. Mm-hmm. So you can't have cargo that touches the walls of the trailer or the ceiling. So what you have to imagine is that the, the air is cooled in the top front of the trailer, and then it flows along the top of the palletized cargo and along the sides. And then it returns underneath the pallets, and then the cycle starts again, Right. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, the air conditioning system in your house. You have a return, and then the system cools the air and pushes it out through your vent system. If you have airflow that's blocked in any way, you're going to have, you know, trouble at home. You're also going to have trouble in the context of the refrigerated trailer. Your cargo is either going to be spoiled or it's going to be rejected as warm. So those, those are the two misconceptions. Thanks for letting me back up for a second. Um, oh. the, the, the thing you asked about – go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, so, uh, yeah, go, go for it. No, I was going to tell you, so you, you would ask me uh, uh, secondarily here what role equipment plays, and, you know, equipment's critical, you know, specifically the condition of the equipment. Uh, the trailer doors have to be, they have to have a secure seal, obviously, so you can keep the cool air inside and the cold air doesn't escape. You know, that's counterproductive, right? Additionally, um, reefer trailers, although they're very well insulated, insulation naturally degrades over time. So it's critical that you check on the condition of the insulation. You need to make sure that the interior of the trailer is clean and in good condition. There's not holes in the walls or the ceiling uh, of the uh, of the trailer that are going to let that cold air get out. And also, in the corner of these trailers, there are condensation drains, and those things can get blocked. And if they do, they do, that's going to interfere with the cooling uh, the cooling efficiency as well. So those have to be clear. And then the last thing I'll say about condition uh, 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 equipment, that is, is that, you know, it's pretty much um, commonplace to put a temperature recording device mm-hmm, to track mm-hmm. the shipment uh, temperature uh, that, that shows that the temperature is at the back of the trailer, you know, to ensure that it's similar to the temperature at the front of the trailer where that cooling uh, by the reefer uh, you know, unit actually happens. So this temperature recording device also has to be in really good condition. All great details and educating a lot of people on reefer and what, what the details are there, why it's more, it is more expensive. It's a much more difficult thing to, uh, to, to get into as a transportation company. But as a trucking company, when you're in this, how do they protect themselves against some of these issues? Yeah, and that's important. So there's a couple things you can do to protect yourself, both at pickup and delivery. So at pickup, what should happen is your driver should verify that the product is at the right temperature before it's loaded into a pre-cooled trailer. So remember what I've said already, that the trailer really isn't designed to cool. It maintains temperature, right? So you have to make sure that the reefer can do its job by ensuring also that the, uh, you know, the airflow is not in any way blocked. It's properly loaded, so the airflow can, can uh, move throughout the trailer. Um, then at delivery, it's, it's very important for your driver to be alert and to never accept responsibility for rejected cargo unless they absolutely understand the reason for the rejection. Be very, very careful about what you sign in terms of delivery documents, because if later there are alleged damages, it will make it very difficult to challenge liability. And then, of course, to protect yourself, 
I urge everyone out there to uh, check out travelers.com for further information. Wow. Well, hey, great information today from you, Craig. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Wow. Excellent stuff, Craig. Thank you. Big stuff in reefer. Another yeah. another misconception too is that you know people sometimes they, they just think that uh, reefer is only used for like ice cream or or for cold materials. When you put plenty of things in there, he mentioned the bananas with the uh, the slight temperature variance that you have to be yeah, mindful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of. yeah. As we talked about vaccines and the extreme temper temperature variances you had to be mindful of, as well as the, like things like Halloween candy. Even candy's moved in reefer. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really more of environmentally controlled container or, or trailer, right? Than than a reefer, a refrigerated or or freezing what what have you. Yes. Now, yeah. Michael, let me tell you something. Let yeah. me ask you something. Actually. Lay it on me. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been? Have you ever worked under a non-compete before? I have. You were in sales, brokerage sales. Yes. Here's here's a look at mine. Take a look at mine because we're going to talk about these with Matthew Leffler when he comes on when he gets over here in a couple of minutes. But this is this is one that I was under. I'm not going to name the company. I'm not here to like trounce anybody. But I'm here to show people who've not been under one what they look like and what companies can do with one. This I had when I was in the broker. They sent this on January 7, 2016, by Certified Mail to my new company. Um, I was, if you can see here, my termination date was October 7th, 2015. So three months, three months apart before I started this new company. Well, apparently, I guess I started one day early because (laughs) that's why they sent this here. And it said, we appreciate your service. However, we found out you're working for a a competitor. This is to remind you of your obligations that you signed back in 2013 when you signed this thing, that for a period of three months of termination after, um, after employment, you can't go and become a consultant, a business, or sell anywhere. This restriction applies to a 100-mile radius of any one of their offices, too, which is wild. 100-mile radius. What did the geographic radius have to do Speaking of reading like what you signed, that is something I, I should have uh, I should have been there because they had offices and affiliates all over the place too. Um, but the the thing about this that was really annoying and what I want to talk to Leffler about when he comes on is uh, how can these be um, enforced and can it be enforced? Can that 100 mile radius be in, in, enforced? And the point of this one, um, which he was telling me before we came on air, was mostly just to throw a little heat at the pitcher, just throw a little heat at me at the plate. But the problem is it caused a really bad situation with myself and the new company, or it made it really awkward. I ended up leaving. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And they, But they sent it one day. So if they sent it one day, did they not know it was going to get to you after the well, that's what I'm saying. period th- was over? <laughs> I don't understand. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think, that, um, I, th- <laughs> I think that the reason that they did that was just so that the new company would see it and that they would end up. Now, when you were under your non-compete, did you ever run into any challenges with it? Did you have an awkward situation? Did you get taken to court? Were you sued? Have you had to sue anybody? I had to sue. Yeah. Yeah. Why? No, it ha- because they claimed I was I was competing, but I wasn't. So I, I was under contract and 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 left. And um, you know, it was a you know you you can't compete in this specific space. I was not. They thought I was and came after me. Okay. It turns and, out Matt is here too. His screen is so, just uh, yeah. is just black. Can we bring Matt up and uh, and up? update that thing uh, so so we know thank you uh matt thanks for coming on the show it's matthew leffler he's the armchair oh, attorney right. is he where is he i, I see that's a picture that. of matthew matthew you here oh, is there, can you guys hear me can you see yeah me? i can't see you now are you I, seeing me now no i'm not I'm i hear you though pre- which is i'm fine. gonna pretend i'm you just just focus they, on they have a, it looks like they have a picture they can put up here of you if, if oh like. man i'm so sorry i'm using my cell phone today i'm trying to figure out how to make this thing work that you would be able to see my face let me see if I can make this. A no, we're, bit hey, we're live on better. air. Don't even worry about it. We're live on air. Let's we're just live. get into Let's stuff over it, here, Matthew. So, as okay. you may have heard, I was talking about that non compete that I had, and I shared that with you before we went on air. So, you're a little bit uh, familiar. Let's, um, before we get there, though, introduce yourself. Who is Matthew Leffler, the armchair attorney? I know you just started a new podcast, too, with a friend of mine, Lauren. 
Yeah, so my name is Matthew Leffler. I have been an attorney since 2010. I graduated from Michigan State University College of Law. I practiced mostly in commercial litigation and contracts and, and corporate uh, matters. I went in-house after a little bit into a transport, transportation company, worked a lot in non-competes and mergers and acquisitions, and I've been a passionate follower of the law and supply chain for most of my career. So it's exciting to be able to start getting back into some of my roots. Um, I wanted to have my own startup. So back in March of last year, I incorporated a business. I bought a domain. I made a website. And then I became the armchair attorney. Well, beautiful. So let's talk about that non-compete. Big topic, big topic. Okay. Always gets a lot of traction on LinkedIn. Right. I've been under my own. Michael Vincent's talked about when he's had to yep. use them for his own purposes. For uh, for me personally, I had that one. And like we were opining before you came on, I think it was used just to make me uncomfortable, just to tell me, uh, just, just as kind of a warning shot across the bow. But it made things really awkward. Let's talk about it. Um, what is your opinion on non-competes and freight? Non-competes are garbage. This is the fundamental challenge. When you talk about uh oh. Uh oh, what happened? Let's just keep him on audio. Let's just keep on audio here. Matt, when we talk about what? <laughs> oh, great. Well, he, he, hung, he hung up on himself. Well, so. I mean, he made his point, man. They're garbage. They're garbage. Click. I'm going to hang Period. up on you. Well, hopefully he calls Mic back drop. in because not only do we want to talk about non-competes and get some more information on that, we want to yeah. talk about this verdict against drivers and um, what's going on with the legal wrangling around uh, vaccine mandates. Um, well, yeah. we wait for him to get fixed up yeah. in tech. How about we go to a little big deal, little deal? Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, maybe we, we can fix that in post. Uh, you want to go into one in don't, particular or just start at the beginning of these? Don't experiment. Don't experiment before you come on. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a challenge. Well, anyways, co here's big deal, little deal, Michael Vincent. Mike right. Beckham, he's the co-founder and CEO of Simple Modern. He tweeted, recently, one of our newest team members asked if he could decorate his cubicle. When I said yes, I wasn't expecting this. Look at that. He gave it this whole mountain <laughs> retreat uh, motif over here. I think it's absolutely fantastic. He does a complete walkthrough of it on Twitter. It is obviously a logistics analyst, not someone like even in graphic design. It's logistics analyst Lucas Munt. He did such an amazing job, right? Yeah. That Simple Modern will be instituting a workspace personalization and decoration budget for each employee. Their CEO says that he is excited to see what each team member comes up with. So will there be a, a competition? I guess in the future, stuff like that. I don't know. Mountain uh, Christmas retreat. light fights, that type of. I love his mountain retreat. I love the the uh, stuffed animal heads. You know, the the plushy toy kind of things. Well, he's there. got that one right there upside down because yeah. he said that he is a sooner. Oh, so yeah. he's got the Longhorn upside down in the corner there, in the far bottom right hand corner. Okay, I got it. I got it. Even the fake window, just just big deal. Well, I, I, gotta, it, I gotta say what's great about this too is it's kind of changed the company culture over at this place. This, yeah. if you look at this office. It was all white. It was all stark. It was all terrible looking, right? Yeah. And then, uh, well, not terrible looking. It was just all white office and it they bring this flair. and, and mundane and very tiring looking. Yeah. Change the culture. So com companies out there, I think you should steal what this guy did too. Like give, give your employees that budget. I think Matthew is back. Matthew, please don't hang up on yourself or do any more experiments when we're live. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm doing my best to figure this out. Um, so where we left off is post-employment restrictive covenants. This is the terminology we talk about when we talk about the language of non-competes, non-solicits. So understand this, almost everybody out there is at will, but what the companies try to do is to extend that relationship. So that extension is a post-employment. You're no longer part of that team. 
restrictive, a limitation on your liberty, and a covenant, a long-term contract. And these things are abused by so many companies in the United States because they understand one thing. Maybe they're not enforceable, but probably you're too scared to fight it. And when you do get that letter, it starts making everybody worry. Your future employer, am I going to get sued? You, are you going to get sued? We want our companies to operate in a free market, but they don't really want that. So any company that uses these types of contracts understand one thing. They don't actually want to compete. Yeah, you know, Matthew, you talk about, you know, they're counting on you not wanting to really fight or having. It's really, a lot of times, it comes down to financial ability to fight the thing. I mean, that was my experience. I had to go through it, and it was a couple year and a very, very costly uh, situation to, to fight it. Absolutely. So what these non-competes typically look like is they will get you to sign this when you're looking at a non-disclosure agreement with a very short window of time to review the documentation. You might not know what you're getting into. And many of these companies realize that maybe their non-compete isn't going to hold up in court because as Dooners mentioned earlier, what we look at for a non-compete in every state, and these are state-specific uh, types of agreements, but they look at how long does it go for, how wide, how breath over the land does this go? But even more so, they ask the question, what is the business that you're not going to be able to compete with? And these companies know that you don't have the bandwidth to fight them. They might even understand that their contract is never going to be enforceable. But if they were to threaten you with litigation or potential litigation, you're not going to have the resources to fight. Now, yeah. this is the kind of advice I would give, and this is not intended for legal advice. Don't take legal advice from a television show. But if you ever see a documentation like a non-compete, some sort of post-employment restrictive covenant, ask for more time. Ask to have a lawyer review it and push back on these things. One of the things that I think is really interesting about non-competes is what you have to agree to and how it's enforceable. So in many circumstances, just but the company offering you a job or continuing your job, that allows them to have the consideration to bind you up in a post-employment restrictive covenant. Some states, like my state, Illinois, we require separate consideration. You don't get to have a non-compete unless you pay separately for that. And everybody who's given a non-compete and you don't want to sign it, the goal is to make your employer or future employer pay you for that. If they're going to take you out of the business for a period of time, they owe you money and you should ask for it. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. So that all sounds great. But the way this happens in like the real world, right, is like you go in, this job offers like 45 to 60,000 plus yeah, year commission yeah. incentives and you get it and they give you this document right near the end of you and signing your employee docs. And usually you're not in a position making 45 to 65 to really consider paying lawyers to review your documents. And even if they exactly do, what do you problem. say to the company after they look at them? The first thing that you say, if you don't have the resources to have an attorney, the number one thing you ask is, why are you wanting me to sign the non-competition agreement? Yeah. HR folks don't want to explain why that document is there. And many of them are trained to say, oh, it's just been always there. We'll, we'll get rid of it for you. If they really do want to work with you and you push back a little bit and they say, no, you have to sign this. This is not a company you want to work for. This is not a company that you want to work for. And the reason is, is that they will try to punish you for walking. The non-competition agreements that are out there today in many circumstances is just to make it harder for you to walk away. And if you want to be 
burdened by being able to walk away from a job that you don't like, that's absurd. So my recommendation for anybody, again, not legal advice, is if you're presented with these documents, ask for them to explain why it's necessary for your role. Now, I get it. Non-disclosures make a lot of sense. You might have access to pricing information or customer lists. That is a document that makes a lot of sense to sign. Non-solicitation agreements. Don't call my customers. Don't call my people. Again, those are fairly reasonable. And everyone wants to have a fair deal. Not the perfect deal, a fair deal. And if the fair deal says, this non-compete makes no sense given my role, many companies will take them off. It's a, it's a thing that's probably been in their employment books for years, and no one's pushed back hard enough. But it is our obligation to push back when we see things that are inequitable, that aren't fair. Yeah, well, I mean, Matthew, I would have done myself a favor, too, had I just done a simple Google of the company and non-compete or lawsuits, and I would have seen that they were fairly litigious when it came to mm. these kind of things, or That's they were at least, point. you know, they, they pursue them and they, uh, they, they come after you. So, you know, use the internet to be your friend, too, if you can't. Yeah afford that lawyer. And like you said, use your best judgment. A lot of companies too, they're starting to get out of non-competes. They're even starting to market that. I mean, look at Steam up the street. Like that's their, oh, yeah, that's, that's their big that's thing. His, that's Steve Cox's big thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matthew, here's, here's the problem. We, um, we, we kind of ran out of time on your segment here, but we, I want to get through a few different things like those, like those verdicts, those 18 year drivers. So I'm going to invite you back when we're off air, uh, next week or later on this week. And we'll get into it maybe on the, on the Friday show. I got to look yeah, at yeah. the show schedule, but we will bring you Definitely. back. But thank you so much guys. And thank you for your patience. It's been a pleasure to be here again. But right in the on. meantime, people who want information, more information out of you, where should I send them to? Go to armchairattorney.com. You'll see my website. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always looking to talk about the interesting things in supply chain and law. It's just a fun topic, and the more we know about it, the better off we're all going to be. All right, Matthew. i got to go talk about robots now, so you take care. Take care. Thanks again. <laughs> all right. Robots. China, Vietnam, Belgium, France, oh. Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. Wow. In 2022, Michael Vincent, they're yes, adding more locations around the world as the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. Wow. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, you can learn more at Telem. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after this show. Now, I, this next guest, I recorded one of my favorite Insiders episodes with him, and it was lost to the magic of technology Ooh, during the yeah. summer. Snatching Fortunately, from the jaws of victory. We will try to capture some magic today, <laughs> though, because it's Daniel Thiebel. He's a founder CIO at Vecna Robotics. He's also with Mass Robotics. And he's got a beautiful green lime green background behind him in that Vecna. Where are you sitting? <laughs> are you in the laboratory right now, Daniel? Uh, I'm here in our Waltham, Massachusetts-based offices, yeah. But <laughs> last, a lot of fun goes on in, in these walls. Well, last time I talked to you, you were like living in the future. You were sitting on a autonomous farm, right? A, ro a robotic farm. Quite a little bit different change of scenery today, but plenty of robots around you. Yeah, and green is the theme across the board. <laughs> Agrivecna Robotics. For us, green means go, and the time for automation is now. So we're pretty excited about... Uh, you know, this massive um, change we're seeing in the industry. Well, introduce Very yourself cool. and Vecna to those who may not be familiar. Yeah, so um, my name is Daniel Theobald. I am a founder, chief innovation officer here at Vecna Robotics. Uh, another role I play, Hat Aware, is the founder, uh, co-founder and president of an organization called Mass Robotics. Mass Robotics is this rapidly growing industry association for robotics that's all about trying to help organizations 
uh, adopt robotics um, uh, uh, more easily. Um, that includes things like education, like interoperability standards. You know, customers are wanting to deploy robots from a variety of different vendors. But, you know, it's still very much the Wild West when it comes to robots, and they don't really plug and play. Um, you know, you can go out and buy a cell phone from just about anyone or a laptop from just about anyone, and they all, you know, they all work together. Uh, the robotics world is not quite that way yet, and so that's one of the big things we're working to uh, try and achieve. Vecna Robotics is the world leader for autonomous pallet movement or pallet-sized loads. Uh, so think driverless forklifts. Um, uh, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, humans. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just this is an area that is just so ripe for automation. Our entire physical economy runs on pallets. Um, as you know, uh, you know, stuff gets um, uh, spends a significant portion of its life before it gets to us as consumers on pallets. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what the numbers are, but billions of pallets in play, millions of pallets move, pallet moves every day across our economy. So um, big area, a lot of value. Yeah, very, very cool. So uh, you've invented and developed a number of robots, um, and including the, uh, what is this, the Battlefield Extraction Assist or Bear, which I believe we have a picture of this, or is it a video? Yeah, we have a picture. Look how cool that is! Yeah, and I, yeah, love yeah. The, I love the head, the bear. Uh, so, how, tell me, how does one go about inventing a robot? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting how these things progress. So, this was a this bear robot came out of a very early research project we did with the U.S. Army, and um, the bear robot today is still the most powerful untethered humanoid robot. Um, it's a statue now; it sits in our lobby here. Um, but, you know, to build one of these robots, to actually use one of these robots, you know, they're um, super expensive. You know, you're talking um, uh, over a half a million dollars um, a piece. Um, and uh, we use that, I think, as a sort of early uh, technology exploration. You probably saw some of the DARPA Grand Challenge stuff where they have, you know, robots trying to turn valves and lift things and walk and all that kind of stuff. So that's fun kind of science fiction stuff, um, and um, that can be very helpful in terms of figuring out how to use this technology for more practical applications, like using, uh, like moving pallets, etc. So, um, you know, how do you build a robot? Um, you know, it's really just like anything. The cool thing about it is that there's so many different pieces that have to come together. I, I really think of it like the 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 ultimate engineering effort robots were trying to imitate what human beings are capable of we're nowhere close by the way um you know and people start to worry about you know skynet and you know humanoid robots uh taking over and ruling the planet you can just ignore all of that stuff it's just technology and it's all about trying to make humans more efficient um but uh, I, I have to say it's so much fun and and right now in this time when the technology, the labor markets, the needs, um, you know, everything's just sort of coming together in a way like it never has before. Um, so, yeah, it's a really exciting time. Let me ask you about that, because you, you bring up a kind of an interesting thing there about is some of that sort of public fear about 
robots, right? Where do the ethics come into play when we're talking about AI and robots? For example, the bear, we notice that that's a military robot, obviously. Military is known to, I mean, that Mm -hmm. looks like it's saving troops in the battlefield, not dropping bombs on people, but um, when it does come to to robots, what what kind of ethics do you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about programming them? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting area. Um, You know, here at Vecna Robotics, our mandate has always been to empower humanity. This is always about using technology to make life better for everyone on this planet. Um, I wish every company shared that, um, you know, that ethic. Um, But uh, one of my big motivations for Vecna for starting Mass Robotics is to make sure that as we develop this type of technology, we do it in a way that benefits humanity not something that, um, uh, you know, allows maybe a very small um, number of people to, um, you know, to get rich at the expense of everyone else. Um, And robotics is just like any technology, right? It can be used for good. It can be used to make life better, or it can be used in in negative ways, less productive ways. And ultimately, that's on us. Uh, You know, Hollywood, unfortunately, I think has Hollywood here in America, cinema, has led us towards a path of, uh, you know, uh, having this mindset that robots are evil and they're going to take our jobs and they're going to try and take over. And um, uh, interestingly, if you look at the cinema in in places like Japan over the years, it was the exact opposite. You know, here uh, it tended to be that the robot was the villain, and in Japan, the robot was always the hero. Um, which I, I think is a pretty interesting sort of commentary on how we, you know, how we think about these things differently. Now, with all the changes, with COVID, with everything that's happening, we're starting to get to that point in the U.S. where the robots actually are the heroes. We need them. We realize we need them. They're helping us. They're making our lives better. So I'm really personally excited to see that transformation where, you know, it's not just the gut reaction from everyone of, you know, we hate robots. We don't want robots. Uh, it's it's really the exact opposite we're seeing. People are now inviting the robots in with open arms because they know they need them to be successful. Yeah. Well, I know that Dooner and I are both proponents of robots, and we just just from the sheer cool factor. <laughs> but they also also are very beneficial to people like suppliers, distributors, manufacturers, warehousers, obviously. And you talked about five key themes in robotics that they need to be aware of and uh, keep on top of this year in 2022. Can you speak to those a little bit? Yeah. So certainly, um, this is a rapidly changing area. And one of the things that I think is really important is to realize that automation is here to stay. Um, You know, there is not a model that works economically for anyone to try and retreat to manual labor for everything all the time. Um, You just can't do it. There's not enough bodies. We all know this. The the labor markets and supply chain are incredibly difficult right now. Um, You know, you you talk about, well, you know, when I talk to people about this, they're like, well, why don't you just raise wages? Um, Wages are raised again that way. That's a little bit a little bit of a tongue twister. But they've raised wages again and again and again and again. The problem is that people don't want to do these jobs. You know, I just got off a call with a a company that uh, does a lot in cold storage. Can you imagine like your career is driving a forklift around in a freezer? Um, you know, yeah. every day you're in a freezer, um, just not the kind of work that human beings like to do. And so accepting that reality 
the thing I tell people is it's really important to start to learn how to adopt automation. Um, this isn't one of those things that you can sort of just wait and see. Let your competitors do it first, and once they've worked out the kinks, then you know, you're going to be able to adopt it. And, and the reason for that is that the adoption of this type of technology uh, takes time. Uh, you have to adapt your operations to it. You have to change the way you do business. And so those people who take a wait-and-see approach now ultimately can't. They, they get left hopelessly behind. So that's you know one of the big ones is I'd say make sure that you are um, investing in learning how to adopt this top type of technology now. Really important on that human side of things is uh, what we here at Vecna Robotics call hearts and minds. I mean, you can have the greatest robots, the greatest technology in the world, but if your team isn't, um, isn't bought in, it's not going to be successful. You know, early on, we had robots in hospitals, and uh, we, um, uh, you know, were able to monitor the robots and see what's going on. And um, it went, one of our robots went dark. And uh, eventually, we found that the robot had been shoved into a closet and the door closed um, by somebody <laughs> who, you know, didn't like robots. Um, and so, uh, you know, you see that type of thing happen in facilities where, um, where people aren't, aren't brought on board early into the process, right? People don't like having things just thrown at them and say, uh, you know, they show up for work one day and everything's different. It's really important to work with your staff from the very beginning to say, Hey, we're thinking about adopting this type of automation, We'd like you to be involved in the process. We need your help. We need your insights. It needs to be their idea. And then they welcome the robot because they, they own it, right? It's, it's something that they're contributing to versus what we've seen uh, oftentimes uh, and we've heard from uh, customers in uh, you know, some of our competitor deployments where it's the same type of behavior. People will bully robots. People will intentionally leave things in the way of the robots because they want the robot to fail because they see it as a threat. We're, we're very fortunate that we don't run into that very often. Um, but, you know, again, the organizations that are going to be the most successful are the ones that don't look at technology alone, but look at that human-robot interaction um, as critical to their success. Wow. Um, yeah, that's, that's horrible. One really well, thing that's horrible, though, oh, sorry, I, I, I'm just picturing people hazing robots now at, at work, sticking yeah, them yeah. inside lockers and stuff, and like locking them in the it's freezer. It's a real thing. It's crazy. It's an <laughs> absolutely real thing. Um, you know, they're, they're, let me let me give you a, a less, uh, you know, sort of a less uh, extreme example. Um, our robots are always going to be the most courteous drivers on the road, and you know, in this case, on the road is within the warehouse. Um, so if you've been to some of these facilities, which I'm sure you have, you know that they're, they are, it's like a beehive. It's just buzzing everywhere mm -hmm. and things are moving fast. And our robots are always going to put safety first. And this is one of the reasons why learning to adopt it is important. Uh, you know, unlike a human forklift driver that um, is going to, you know, be able to just zoom by and maybe, you know, cut by a rack with, you know, an inch to spare. Robots are not allowed to do that. Robots are going to be are going to be much more cautious and courteous. And what that means is that if your human um, uh, material handling operators um, are are always you know sort of cutting in front of the robot, um, uh, not giving the robot a little bit of space, it's very easy to negatively impact that robot's ability to get its work done. 
So it's not always intentional bullying. Um, sometimes it's just that that person who's driving the forklift, well, they've got incentive to get their work done as quickly as possible. And if they see an opportunity cut in front of that robot, yeah, they're going to do it. In the grand scheme of things, that ultimately then would actually slow down the overall warehouse throughput um, because, uh, you know, you need to sort of keep all these things in balance. Daniel, so, yeah, Daniel, humans and robots working together, it's an important theme. Well, I, my buddy online, he actually just tweeted, uh, my buddy Molson Hart from Via Heart, he's trying to get a narrow oh, yeah. aisle forklift, and he said the lead time, he was just told, was 43 to 79 weeks. 79 weeks is a year and a half. Are you experiencing the same trouble building this type of, of forklift? Do you have these ready and available to go? What's going on? Because I know that just equipment, whether it be autonomous robot or not, is a challenge to come by in warehouses at the moment. Yeah, supply chain is kicking everybody's butts uh, right now. Um, now, we have had a team that has been, you know, sort of working on this from uh, early on in the pandemic to make sure that we found alternatives, alternative suppliers. So we actually have a pretty decent uh, inventory on hand. Um, but, yeah, lead times can be a real problem. Um, and depending on what they're looking for, you know, it may be that there's equipment available. Uh, it may be that there is a long lead time. Um one of the reasons why we're so excited about our technology is because it can actually run on a variety of different equipment, uh, depending on what your needs are. Um, our autonomy is, is sort of all the same. So whether it's a, a, a pallet truck, uh, a pallet, electric pallet jack, a tugger, a counterbalance forklift, a reach truck, um, you know, these are all things that our system runs. So um, certainly you should have them contact me and maybe, maybe we can help them out. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize that. that, that it was a, it was kind of almost like a bolt on system into an existing uh, forklift or what have you. That's interesting. That's interesting. Not, yeah, not entirely. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean it that, you know, we just sell a kit and somebody puts it on. Right. Right. But right. we have a wide range of equipment and we, oh, okay. inter, we inter, uh, uh, interoperate with a wide range of different uh, OEM equipment. Um, so gotcha. if, you know, if, if you, you name a type of forklift, we've probably put an autonomy kit on it. Now, it seems like one of the biggest issues that robotics companies are going to try and solve, mass robotics are going to try and solve in 2022, is getting all these robots to speak the same language, to get on the same page, yeah. like an operating system for, for the robot industry, not for just each robot. How far along are, are we there from having sort of a, an open-ended ecosystem for robots to communicate? Yeah, it's a really great question. And, you know, this is one of those funny things that um, uh, you wouldn't think is, is necessarily as hard as it is. Um, there are a number of industries that have eventually standardized. And the common thing you find is that you look at all of these industries, until the standards emerged, the industry struggled to scale as rapidly as I think anyone would like. Um, and, and there's always this misguided idea that companies have that they are going to be the one and only, right? Mm -hmm. Our product will become the standard because we will be the company and nobody else will buy from anyone but us. Um, that, of course, isn't the way things work, at least not with any, any significant industry. So um, what, what we realized at Mass Robotics, one of the reasons that we started Mass Robotics in the first place is because if we could take you know, sort of a page out of the history books on all of these other industries, standardization, interoperability is the key to success. It's the key to adoption. Right. Imagine a time when you had to buy your computer hardware and your computer software from the same company. Right. You couldn't buy a computer and get software from any other company but the company that built that computer hardware. 
that sounds absolutely ridiculous, insane, right? But that's the way it used to be. And, you know, most people probably don't remember that. Of course, the computer industry wasn't that big and it was struggling to grow because of that limitation. And somebody came along with this absolutely harebrained, wild idea that, well, maybe a different company could write some software for that IBM mainframe. Maybe we could build an operating system that allowed people to write software um, for these computers, no matter if it was the exact same hardware or not. And that radical idea is what's made everything possible. Now, the robotics industry is very much back in that stage where the company that wrote the hardware or, or that built the hardware also has to write the software. So the, the idea of interoperability is helping to jumpstart us to, to, to move beyond that as quickly as possible, where you can buy a piece of hardware, it will plug into your system, the robots will all talk, they'll share information, because you can't have robots running around your warehouse not aware of the other robots running around the warehouse, and right now that's the way it is, right? If I try and deploy uh, fork trucks, uh, uh, driverless fork trucks from Vecna Robotics, and you want to deploy some, you know, floor cleaning robots from someone else, um, those systems are, you know, would not be aware of each other other than, of course, just seeing, you know, them like any other obstacle. So there's a massive opportunity here and um, a lot of challenges, but we just really pushed the idea. We got a tremendous amount of pushback from industry. Everybody, everybody wanted to fight the idea, but as soon as we pushed it through far enough to make it, to make it clear that this was happening, it's going to happen. Then people sort of switched from the, we're going to try and get in the way and prevent this from happening to we better get on board because we don't want to be the, you know, mm. the odd man out. Mm. So really interesting dynamic there. Wow. Hey, Daniel, this has been it's awesome. This has been really exciting. And one of the things that I wanted to get into that we've, we've run out of time on, so I'll have to have you on again soon, was a push towards reshoring and what, uh, what autonomous, uh, autonomous yeah. warehouses, autonomous equipment, how that's all going to yeah. play. So I'll get in touch with you on when we can set that up to go deeper in on that topic. But in the meantime, if Molson Hart or anyone else needs an autonomous uh, pallet mover like you guys have, where do I send them to? VecnaRobotics.com. Beautiful stuff. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take care of you. Yeah, it's nice, fun man. talking. I uh, look forward to the next opportunity. Hold yeah, it down absolutely. in Boston for us. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Take it easy. I, Good I times. I no, very knowledgeable and incredibly interesting uh, uh, topic. Yeah. I love it. I could, I could talk to him all day. You can always tell roboticists are uh, sort of like a little frustrated, too. Like, remember we had, um, uh, what was her, uh, Megan Wise on from... Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she, she was on. She was like, robots are really stupid. Yeah, that's one thing you have to understand. Yeah, yeah. That, she's the one who said, that, yeah, training. you can get one to pick up a, gla- a gallon of milk, but it'll cost you a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump back into Big Deal a little bit. What let's do you got Let's do it, me? man. I got... All right, so... Big Deal. Oh. oh. Deal. There you go. All right. Go for it. I'm going to go for it, man. TikToking trucker Dakota Punches saw this during a recent drive dooner. Check this out and check out the reaction in this video. Big deal, little deal. We're looking at a what are we? We're looking at a big rig here. Going check it out. out. Oh, that car just completely Whoa! spun out. Oh, it's not real clear the first time you see it. Run that thing again. That's a cool little spin. Yeah, can you just replay that one more time? Yeah. Rerun that tape. Replay the tape. There it is. Thanks. Now up on the left hand side. There he is. Oh, there he goes. Look at this. Whoa. Well, hey, good on the driver. I mean, he doesn't really seem phased by that at all. No, uh, he doesn't look deal. worried I mean, at all, does he? He's a pro driver. He didn't get crushed, so good on pro him. Driver. I'm not sure why that guy came out and did a 360 in front of him. I don't know. Good thing. just trying to be cool. I don't know. <laughs> good thing he just had me filming. Yeah, I don't know. That 360 seemed like an overreaction. Was he going to hit that car in front of it? 
I, I don't know. I keep looking to see if there's brake lights on that car. I didn't see any. And obviously the, tr the trailer, whatever that was in the median, wasn't any threat to him. I don't know. Well, all right, let's one more look here. All right. Yeah, I'm not See, really. I'm I don't not know sure, exactly why he did that flip not out. Not sure but, why uh, he did that. <laughs> hey, Tokyo Drift, he got it down. There you go. <laughs> not a big deal. No accident. And uh, driver put. Just turn the driver put. <laughs> driver put your phone down. All right, DHL Global <laughs> Forwarding announced it recently asked. It recently assisted in relocating five lions and one tiger from captivity yeah. in the Ukraine to Simbanga Game Farm and Sanctuary over in South Africa, you go. over by where your picks get made. That's right. The animals are rescued from two That's private right. zoos in South Ukraine. The DHL team, along with veterinary specialists, flew the animals from Borspil International Airport to Johannesburg, then traveled uh, over the road 693 miles to the game farm with all these uh, tigers. Big deal, little deal. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's very cool. I think the big deal is transporting those things. Yeah. Uh, it's gotta be difficult to do, Randall. I mean, that far, right? From the Ukraine all the way there and then 693 miles across, uh, uh South Africa can't be an easy journey. You know what I mean? I think one of the big deals is they've saved them from the impending war. <laughs> that, <that's, laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's and pretty my, cool. And my first reaction is is taking them from private zoos, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I'm assuming that it was a bad situation with the private zoo and it was illegal and stuff like that. But I, I, I don't know if it was that bad. I love to see the animals in a while. So I'll, I'll, I'll go big deal. I like good altruistic marketing, too. Yep. I like DHL putting us out there, yep. helping these, I'll go these big animals deal. out. And it's like, well, what can your logistics company do? We can move lions out of a war-torn area. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool that they were able to pull this off. All right, so big deal, little deal, my friend. You're in, in, in Texas. A 49-year-old Texas woman was arrested after trying to purchase another woman's child while in line at Walmart, Dooner. That's oh, right. You heard me, her? my friend. That is her, according to a report from KPRC. Rebecca Taylor, 49, came up to a woman's shopping cart in the checkout line, offered the woman $250,000 for her son, one of her two children. Uh -huh. The mother said no. She said, all right, about five hundred k. She still said no, and she threatened to take the infinite, allegedly threatened to take it. The woman left and called authorities. Now she's, uh, she's out on bond, $50,000 bond on a, what, third-degree felony. Wait, hold on a second. I mean, this, this allegation was taken pretty seriously. Like, this sounds like, like yeah. I've been in the grocery store, especially when my kids were, like, infants. Yeah. When they were much younger, you'd have yeah. people be like, oh, that baby's precious, or that baby's worth a million dollars. Or, like, you know, they, they <laughs> You didn't say, pick like, up your phone and call I the don't know. Could she have been kidding? Could she have been like, oh, that baby's great. Let me buy it from you for a quarter million or a half million dollars. Like, you got two of them. What's the big deal? Like, does this lady overreacting? I feel like I would have to be, I would I have to know. hear the conversation that's occurring here. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, I mean, was, the, what was the threat? Oh, it's so cute I could just take him home. Was that the threat? I don't know. I mean, is she like really like the head of a human trafficking uh, division here or is she just someone in line cracking jokes at Walmart? <laughs> That's no. why you need the metaverse. Remember that metaverse we were talking about? If you were in those goggles, you won't encounter you won't get in trouble. If you, ask, if you ask a virtual person if you can buy their children, would you get in trouble in the metaverse? I don't know, but somebody tweeted for an extra zero, she could have mine. Uh, all right. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dude. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.